Uh, there's a story about a preacher that woke up one Sunday morning, was uh, all ready to go preach his sermon and everything, um, but the weather was fantastic. I mean, it was a morning like this, and he thought, you know, this would be a great day to get the golf clubs out and play around a golf. And so he really struggled with this dilemma of, you know, I really want to do it. I mean, it's one of the first days it's been warm enough to play and everything. And so got on the phone, called the associate minister and said, man, I am just really, really sick today. I, I can't be there. I can't preach. Could, could you please stand in for me? And the associate minister said, sure, I'll do it. So he loaded up his golf clubs and everything and, and drove like 40 miles away so that he would be sure that no one who knew who he was would see him playing golf. And so he played this, this round of golf, and it was a pretty good round. And, and he got to like the 15th hole. It was a 420-yard hole. And at this point, heaven got involved. I mean, St. Peter looked over at Jesus and was like, you're going to let him get away with this? And Jesus said, well... No, no, I'm not. And anyway, this guy, he tees off 440-yard hole here. He hits a hole in one, right? I mean, impossible. I mean, just impossible. But it happened. And this guy's jumping up and down. He can't believe it. He can't believe it. And Peter looks over at Jesus. He's like, really? You're going to let him pull this off? And Jesus said, who's he going to tell? Who's he going to tell? Well, 2012 looked to be starting out perfectly for a young professional golfer named Kyle Stanley. He had never won a PGA event, had never won a PGA tournament, but Torrey Pines, San Diego, everything was set up perfectly. He had played great golf on Thursday, Friday, Saturday. He was the leader going in on Sunday. He finished the round, and he had, he had solidified his position. So coming up to the 18th hole on the final round at Torrey Pines this year, he had a lead of several strokes. In fact, four shot lead. Think about that. Final hole, final round, four shot lead at Torrey Pines. So everything was just perfect. In fact, the only chance that his competitor, Branch Snedeker, had would be some sort of complete historic meltdown by Kyle Stanley on the 18th hole. It would be one of the worst collapses in golf history for him to have a chance. Well, you might see where this is going. On the par 5 18th hole at Torrey Pines, Stanley would take a triple bogey 8. Then he and Snedeker went into a playoff, and Stanley sealed this historic meltdown by losing in a playoff to Snedeker. Afterward, when, when Stanley was asked to talk about what happened on that 18th hole, he said this. He said, it's not a hard golf hole. I could probably play it a thousand times and never make an eight. His collapse in January, I think, serves as a reminder that it's not so much how you start something, it's really how you finish that counts. In fact, the Bible says in Ecclesiastes chapter 7, verse 8, 
Endings are better than beginnings. Sticking to it is better than standing out. I love that phrase. Endings are better than beginnings. You know, as he started the tournament, day one, first round, that 18th hole, he shot a three, an eagle. When it really mattered, final hole of the tournament, an eight. Beginnings aren't nearly as important as endings. In the end, Kyle Stanley is the golfer who nearly won at Torrey Pines. Nearly has to be one of the loneliest, one of the saddest words in the English language. Nearly. The husband and wife who nearly made their marriage work. The multi-million dollar deal that nearly got closed nearly is sometimes a gut-wrenching, tragic word. Nearly is for silver medalists. It's for runners-up. Nearly is for the game that was in hand but slipped away, like Kansas last night. They did win. Ohio State nearly won. Doesn't feel too good this morning for them. It is the diploma that was nearly in hand. It is the addiction that was nearly beaten. It is the preemie baby who nearly made it. Nearly is, is a terrible, devastating word. Today, Sunday morning, is the beginning of Holy Week. Christians around the world will be remembering the tragic events and the victorious events that happened over 2,000 years ago or or just around 2,000 years ago this week. Holy Week begins. Uh, On Friday, Jesus Christ took his last breath. His enemies nearly conquered him. They had managed to get him arrested. They had managed to get him on the cross. They had seen him take his last breath. But on Sunday, Jesus Christ rose from the dead, conquered Satan, conquered death, and won the greatest victory ever. And all of us have these stories of uh, of, of triumph. All of us have these stories of failure. And for two disciples... In the original Holy Week, they lived weeks that were full of failure. For Judas Iscariot and for Simon Peter, Holy Week would not be a week of highlight real material for them. In the Messiah's final hours... Peter would fall asleep when his Lord and Savior begged him to stay awake and pray with him. When they came to arrest Jesus, the Prince of Peace, Peter pulled out his sword and committed an act of violence and was rebuked by Jesus Christ. And when Jesus was on trial, Peter hid out at arm's length finally denying Jesus three times with curse-laced curse denials, not 
highlight reel material for Simon Peter at all. Judas hadn't fared any better. During the Last Supper, Jesus had predicted that one of them would betray him. The other disciples had no clue who Jesus was talking about. But Judas knew who he was talking about. Judas knew. Previously, Judas had received a cash payment from the Jewish leaders in order to turn Jesus in, to betray Jesus. And on this night, Judas would make good on his promise to betray Jesus to the to the leaders of the Jews. So while Holy Week may be a week where Christians around the world celebrate the greatest triumph of the Son of God, it was a week that was not one of the best for Peter or Judas. These two comrades of Jesus had triple pogeyed on the 18th and had felt the full emotional weight of their failure. Just kind of a side note here as we go into the story. You know, in the Bible, names mean a lot. Um, Peter, we remember Jesus gave Simon this name, Peter, which means the rock, right? When Judas was born, his mother gave him this name, Judas, which means praise. But these final hours of Jesus, Peter wouldn't be much of a rock, and Judas wouldn't be bringing much praise to his God. What strikes me about these two men, what strikes me about Peter and Judas is frankly how much they have in common, how these two men were really tracking together in, in just in step with each other up to a certain point. I mean, they had a lot in common, a lot of raw materials, a lot of ingredients that made them up. There were striking similarities during this original Holy Week between Judas and Peter. On your outline this morning in the bulletin, you're going to want to follow along. We're basically going to look at some things they had in common and finally end up at their place of divergence. We're going to start out with a statement that both of them could check off, right? Both Judas Iscariot and Simon Peter could check this off, this statement. I was called from among the disciples of Jesus to be part of, of the inner circle. Okay, hundreds of people, sometimes even more, listening to Jesus, watching Jesus, seeing miracles performed, seeing the leper embraced. Lots and lots of people saw this in this region of the world that we know as Israel today. So on planet Earth, they were privileged to be in the right place geographically to get to see Jesus, experience Jesus. But beyond that, you know, Jesus had personally called them out, handpicked them, called them by name, Judas Iscariot, Peter, I want you guys to serve as two of my twelve. A dozen men I'm handpicking to be leaders in my ministry, to form my inner circle. You guys are going to be part of that. Beyond that, think about this. Peter and Judas had both been elevated to positions of leadership within that group of 12. Peter, of course, part of the big three, Peter, James, and John, the closest disciples to Jesus, intimate with Jesus. With Jesus, Judas, promoted to CFO of the ministry, in charge of the purse, in charge of the, of the treasury of this ministry. So both could, also, could affirm, I was chosen to be part of the inner circle, and they could both check the next boxes. 
All right, so check these boxes. I was given a prominent position within the inner circle, right? Both Judas and Peter could say that that's true. I mean, most of the apostles, though, this is where we kind of shift a little bit. Most of, the, of this group of 12, most of them were never singled out for a rebuke by Jesus, for a scolding by Jesus, or at least it was never recorded for us in the pages of the Bible. But both Peter and Judas were singled out. Jesus got in their grill. Jesus scolded them in front of the others. They knew what that felt like, so they could both, they could both affirm as well, I was rebuked by Jesus in front of the others. All right? So I was called from among the disciples of Jesus to be part of the inner circle. In that inner circle, I was given a prominent position. And then the third thing here, they could both check this one off. I was rebuked by Jesus in front of the others. For Judas, it it was right before the events on that fateful night where Jesus was arrested. Um, They were gathered in the home of Mary Martha and Lazarus, you, you probably remember this scene. Mary shows up with this extravagant offering. I mean, she takes this perfume that the Bible says was valued at one year's salary. Think of that. A year's salary. And she takes this bottle of perfume and she pours it out on Jesus' feet. And then she mops his feet with her hair. And Judas is sitting there thinking, what a waste. Think of all of the good we could have done with this money to help the poor or to line my pockets. What a waste. Jesus praises Mary. She has prepared me for burial. And he rebukes Judas on that night. Well, Peter, we remember as well, um, (laughs) Peter had gotten chewed out um, at one point as, um, as Jesus is explaining to this inner circle, look, I am going to be arrested. I'm going to be killed. I'll be raised from the dead as well. And Peter said, no, don't talk like that. That is going to kill morale in your ministry. To talk about being arrested and being killed, don't talk like that. And you remember Jesus says, get behind me, Satan. Peter, don't talk like that. This has to happen. This is God's plan. They both knew what it felt like to be scolded by Jesus at different moments. Both also, think about this, both also had the benefit of being warned by Jesus about catastrophic mistakes they were about to make. They were told very specifically, this is what you are about to do. Imagine if you had a cell phone that, and you had God calling you and he told you, look, in 20 minutes, You're going to have this decision. Please don't do it. Both of them had this extraordinary benefit of being warned personally by Jesus, specifically about what they were about to do, about the mistake they were about to make. So they could both affirm the following. Check these boxes as well. Jesus warned me about the huge mistake I was about to make. You know, Peter 
is told on that evening of the Last Supper. Man, Peter, you're going to deny me. Before the rooster crows tomorrow morning, you will have denied me three times. And Judas, of course, is told, you're going to betray me. And both, the next thing on your list this morning, (laughs) both could say the following. I went ahead and made the mistake anyway. I went ahead and did it anyway. Jesus informed Judas that he would be betraying him later that night. A few hours later, in the darkness of the night, Judas shows back up on scene with soldiers, with with the priests, and he is leading the parade to arrest Jesus. Peter, same song, second verse. He was told he would deny Jesus three times before the rooster crowed. Then later in the wee hours of the night, there he is swearing over and over and over. I don't know him. They'd been warned. They went ahead and blew it. But, you know, maybe we'll find that the difference between Judas and Peter is, maybe we'll find that the difference is that one of them felt terrible after the sin was committed, felt terrible after the failure occurred. Maybe one of them felt awful, heartbroken, and the other just didn't. Maybe that's the difference. But, of course, it's not, is it? They could both check this box as well. Judas and Peter, I was heartbroken over the way I betrayed the Lord. Matthew chapter 27, verses 3 to 4. When when Judas, who had betrayed him, Jesus, realized that Jesus had been condemned to die, he was filled with remorse. He took the 30 pieces of silver back to the leading priests and the elders. I have sinned, he declared, for I have betrayed an innocent man. What do we care? They retorted, that's your problem. Judas was brokenhearted. He was devastated when he realized that his betrayal was going to end up getting Jesus killed. Right? And Peter? Peter? Matthew 26, 75, suddenly Jesus' words flashed through Peter's mind. Before the rooster crows, you will deny that you know me three times. And he went away weeping bitterly. Instead of standing with their Lord in his hour of need, one had kept himself at arm's distance, even swearing that he didn't even know Jesus, the other had been an accomplice in the arrest of Jesus Christ. Betrayal had come from both Judas Iscariot and Simon Peter. And finally, this phrase, I gave up on my future. Well, this is where they diverge, isn't it? The only box you need to check on this one is Judas Iscariot. Judas Iscariot can affirm, yes, I gave up. 
I gave up on myself. I gave up on Jesus' ability to forgive me and to give me a fresh start. I quit on Jesus. I quit on life. Judas, though, remember that word nearly? Judas very nearly repented. I mean, this is like 97% repentance. It's what Judas gives us here. I mean, he recognizes, the Bible tells us, that he had done wrong. He was brokenhearted over what he had done. He even returned the bribe money to the people who had given it to him. Judas very nearly repented. In the end, however, he gave up on himself. He gave up on Jesus. He gave up on the grace and the new beginning that people experience in Jesus. Matthew 27, verse 5. So Judas threw the money into the temple and left, and he went away and hanged himself. But Peter's story wasn't quite over yet, was it? In John chapter 21, Jesus has has now been publicly executed. The disciples are trying to figure out what to do. Um, Most of them have kind of shuffled back to their old lives and their old routines, which for Peter means, let's get on a boat, let's get out on the Sea of Galilee, let's do some fishing. After a night of poor, poor fishing, I mean, just didn't catch anything, as they're coming back toward the shore, Jesus, I mean, uh, Simon Peter remembers, you know, it, it, was, it was almost at this exact spot, just about three years back, that I saw Jesus for the very first time. It was like three years ago. I'm rowing in after a night of poor fishing, just like this one. We row back toward the shore. There's this guy standing on the beach, and he says, how was the fishing? Terrible. Once you cast your nets in again, I think there's some fish you haven't caught. We actually did that, and we had an amazing haul of fish That is where my walk with Jesus began. That is the day this journey, this adventure of the last three years started with Jesus here on this beach. What a memory. What a memory for Peter. And here he is in John chapter 21, three years later. Now Jesus has been crucified. Now the dream appears to be over. It's back to the old life. And here they come in back again after a a horrible night of fishing. They're rowing up to that same spot. It's like deja vu. You know, there's a guy on the beach again. How was the fishing? It was terrible. Why don't you put your nets back in the water? Haven't I been here before? Peter thinks. They put their nets in the water. They can't even pull all of those fish in. Those nets are so heavy. (sighs) Wait a second. That's him. (laughs) Peter jumps in the water. He swims like a hundred yards. 
and there he sees Jesus alive. Jesus has been cooking breakfast on the beach. And then just as Peter denied his Lord three times, Jesus gives him three opportunities to proclaim his love. And Peter, you know. Peter, I love you, Jesus. I love you, Jesus. I do. You know I love you. And Jesus buries Peter's failures in the past. Just as Peter had denied Jesus three times now, he proclaims his love three times. Peter had nearly given up on life, but he hadn't. Thank God he had hung on. A couple of things here on your outline as we conclude this morning. A couple of things, just a couple of take-home lessons, I think, that are important for us. One thing is this. The stories of Judas and Peter, they remind us that what matters most isn't where I'm at today. It isn't where I'm at today. It's where I finish And their stories remind us also of this powerful truth. Jesus never gives up on me. Jesus never gives up on me. Peter knew what it was like to be at wit's end. He knew what it felt like when failure and pain were heaped up on his back where he could hardly support it. And that's why Peter, I think, had this unique ministry to people like us who know what that feels like. uh, Peter began to minister to folks who felt like they were at the breaking point of failure. And so Peter shares words with you and I this morning. 1 Peter 5, 6, and 7. If you're at that point, this is what Peter looks in your eyes and says. He says, so humble yourselves under the mighty power of God. And at the right time, he will lift you up in honor. Give all your worries and cares to God, for he cares about you. And so this morning, the truth is, all of us have experienced failure. We have all experienced to a person failure. Financial failures, relationship failures, moral failures, spiritual failures. Peter and Judas experienced failure because they were people like us. They were real people. They also experienced extraordinary opportunities in their lives. And so we have so much in common with them. We all fail, yet we all occasionally, at times, have these remarkable opportunities that open up to us. What remains in doubt, what remains to be seen, is what you and I will do with our failure. Where will we go? Where will we end up? This morning, 
Maybe for you it is that you need to seek the Lord's forgiveness. You have failed. You have failed badly. You need to have that encounter on the beach with Jesus. You need to know what it feels like to have betrayed, to have failed, and to feel that weight lifted off your back. Or maybe you need to to know what it feels like to cross the line of faith and say for the first time, yes, I believe in Jesus. I believe that he took my place. He took my sins on his back. I believe there is freedom. There is redemption. There is purpose in a life devoted to Jesus. And you can begin your journey today confessing your faith, being immersed in baptism in the name of Jesus, launching this second half of your life Just like Peter launched his life there the second time he saw Jesus on the beach. This could be your morning to make that step. But whatever you do, don't give up on life. Remember Peter's words. Humble yourselves under the mighty power of God. At the right time, he will lift you up in honor. Give God all your worries and cares. He cares about you. What I can tell you with certainty is this. If you are listening this morning to this message, you haven't played your final round yet. If you're here this morning, you're listening to this message, it's too early to quit, right? You don't have to resign yourself to being the man or woman who nearly got it together. Kyle Stanley's amazing start to the year 2012 went horribly wrong. I mean, a triple bogey on the final hole of the final round when he had the cup in his hands. It all fell apart. He had nearly won his first PGA tournament back in January, and then he had blown it catastrophically. The next week, he gets on a plane. He heads out to Arizona. It's the next PGA event. It is the Phoenix Open. So there he is at TPC Scottsdale, and it's going pretty well. It's going pretty well. He golfs well. Round one, golfs well on Friday, golfs well on Saturday. Can you imagine what Kyle Stanley felt when he pulled up in his car to that golf course on Sunday morning? I still have a chance. But a week ago today, I pulled up out in San Diego and I thought I had it won. But on this day, on this Sunday, in the Phoenix Open, he would play a brilliant round of golf. Six birdies, not a single bogey. And when he made par on the 18th hole, remarkably, a week after his catastrophic collapse, he became the champion of the Phoenix Open, and he became over a million dollars richer. Yeah. During the final week of the life of Jesus, the differences between Judas Iscariot and Simon Peter 
were microscopic, really. But Judas gave up, you see. Judas threw in the towel. Judas quit on his life. Judas locked in his epic fail. Peter moved forward. Eventually, Peter experienced redemption and became one of the Christian church's great leaders. What about you? Will you allow failure to define you or not? Will you lock yourself in as a failure? Will you allow the past to determine and define your future? Or will you look into the eyes of Jesus this morning, the one who defeated death, the one who offers you his resurrection power, and will you put your faith in him? That's your decision. No one can make it but you.